Here we go. Time once again for Ira on Sports. True Oldies channel. Uh, Mike Balsamo. Great show on tap for you once again. Ira, it's kind of sad. We're down to just a handful of football games left to go, but we're going to get you caught up on everything that happened in this amazing weekend. I think it's the most depressing thing. There's only yeah. three football games left in the year. Uh, someone who, you know, we have no more Saturday football. That's the thing is there's no football it's games bothersome. on Saturday. It is going to be <laughs> next Saturday. It's, it, for starting in September, you know, my Saturday's been full, filled with football. Now there's no football at all. And this is, you know, I love all, we love all the sports. We're not like the Pat McAfee show that only does football all the time. We cover every other sports, but even then, it's going to be disappointed to not have a Saturday of football. We have this weekend with two games, and they have a week off, and then we have the Super Bowl, and that's it. Yeah, so. this is the uh, part of the season where I start to worry about you a little bit. Like, what's Ira doing to occupy his time? He's usually so busy. Five screens up running, or, you know, following this and all these Don't things. Don't need those anymore. No. Um, like you said, always something going on with you, and we always let people know when we're, when we're not live. We tape the show a little bit earlier um, on Monday. Typically, Ira, it's because you've got some sporting events to go to. This one's a little bit different. Well, we're just, I'm going for a dinner, and hopefully, um, we're meeting some people and potentially get some help to get some guests on the show, some top soccer players, other players. So we're working to try to get you know always improving. Iron Sports to have the best guests you possibly can have. So uh, it's a good dinner, a good chance to meet some people and to, and to bring some guests on the show. Follow Ira anywhere across social media at Ira on Sports. Kind of not the most hectic week for you, Ira. I thought you might be jet-setting a little bit, but we're saving that for next week. Next week, I'll go to Baltimore for the Baltimore Chiefs game, but I was supposed to go to Baltimore this weekend in the plane. People don't realize, you know, a lot of New Yorkers were able to come back down, but that the snow they got on Friday in Baltimore, Washington, was just unbelievable, and it canceled every single flight, so there was no way to get in for that. Yeah, I had a flight uh, Friday morning going to Nashville, and every flight the day, the day before was canceled. I was like, well, I'm never getting out of here. <laughs> it worked out. But here we are. Halabib's going to join us around 7.45. Uh, from the Palm Beach Post. Tell us about him because this is obviously a really crucial time for the Miami Dolphins and he's in charge of the you know their beat writing. Yeah, he's a beat writer for the Dolphins for the Palm Beach Post. Had a great article just came out a, a day or two ago about Tua and about the decision that the Dolphins have to make on him. And this is a crucial decision in terms of the pay, what they're going to commit to him, and is he the right person for this? And you know, we're looking at these finals. We just saw a game. We just saw Mahomes and Allen. We saw the level Lamar Jackson. And it's like, wow, if you're in the AFC. It's one thing. Like there are great quarterbacks. Herbert's not in here. Lawrence is in here. I Burrow. mean, Burrow is not in it. I mean, you know, the, for the Steelers, when Tomlin goes, I, the, our quarterback's in that room. Well, a quarterback might be in the room, but that's not the quarterback. <laughs> that, you're still going to have another press conference because I don't think if you in the in the NFC, yes, you can probably have a good good quarterback and make it to the, the conference championship game, maybe the Super Bowl. The AFC, I just don't see how you slip through there and somehow get through Allen, Mahomes, Burrow, Jackson, and C.J. Stroud and all these quarterbacks with just an average quarterback. And that's the question, is Tua, is he going to take it to the next level? It's the truth. I mean, even looking at the NFC championship game, I don't think a lot of people would put either of these quarterbacks in the upper echelon of the league. One of them's going to the Super Bowl, though. Right. So it's kind of wild how that works. Out. Unless, yeah. unless Miami wants to move to the NFC. Then that would be the one. <laughs> if only it was that easy. Uh, Let's talk about the, the game that everyone was excited for. Chiefs versus Bills. Ira, it feels like we see this every single offseason, or every single postseason. You're going to see Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes. It's a story as old as time at this point. We got another great game. Chiefs end up winning once again six straight AFC Championship games for Pat Mahomes. Well, I have probably differing opinions than other people on this. I'm a big fan of Josh Allen. I'm a big I fan. And I felt like when they were saying, like everyone says, the beginning of the year, he throws interceptions, says this. I mean, all the problems that Josh Allen has, I think every other team should have it. I mean, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, they could take Josh Allen tomorrow. If there's not one team besides the Chiefs, I think that would not take Josh Allen. Maybe the Ravens. So besides that, I mean, that, and I thought that game was amazing. They played great. And back and forth, I just thought, and now Allen is three and one. People say, well, he can't beat Mahomes. He's three and one in the regular season against him. It's just these postseason games that just go, that are just crazy games. Anyway, won 38-24, the 2020 championship. Uh, Mahomes beat Allen. Then last, in, in 2021, it was that crazy overtime game and that victory. So these games have been, you know, up and down in terms of that. But, you know, I was, I thought the Chiefs were going to win because of the injuries to the Bills defense. The Bills were literally missing like eight of their starters. And so I knew that, and it seemed like that's what I mean, you know, Mahomes was able to move the ball almost at will against the Bills defense. And uh, the Chiefs had eight plays of 20 or more yards against the Bills. The Bills just didn't have that. I think what really hurt, you know, the one thing, the overall, we're going to go into the game, but the, my bigger overall takeaway from this is the Bills, Sheffield dropped a pass. Stefan Diggs dropped a pass. I mean, the, the, the drop passes for the Bills were terrible. The Chiefs didn't drop the pass which they had problems all year with dropping. And the Bills had those drop passes, and I think that really hurt Allen. And, and in a game that was, I think, you know, uber close, that you, you've got to catch those passes. I, I was kind of in the other camp. 
I thought this was the Bills game. I, I, I felt like, you know, they kind of got better throughout the season. Despite the injuries, there was a time when we thought this team wasn't going to make the playoffs. And they kind of just rattled it off, overtook the Miami Dolphins. Whereas it seemed like the Chiefs had kind of been limping around, just not that typical Chiefs team. I thought this was going to be a, a, a seven-plus point win for the Bills. And I was surely wrong. I mean, they, the team looks totally different than they did at the beginning of the season. But it's obviously still not enough to beat Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes. Yeah, it, it, but in terms of this game, I mean, that first part, when you, it's just a joy to watch. I mean, there's th- things that you watch when you see the greatness of Mahomes and Allen. And as someone who watches as much football as you and I do, and we see average quarterback play, like literally average quarterback play. Mm-hmm. And then when you see elite quarterback play and elite play like that, it's like, wow, that's how it should be played. When you see Mahomes, you know, step up in the pocket. Not, he hasn't had a sack in 64 dropbacks. I mean, he's been, you know, does he get sacks? They don't, two quarterbacks don't throw interceptions. They throw perfect passes. They throw passes you can't imagine that only person, and they're on the run. They move the ball. They scramble. It's just a joy to watch that position played at that level. And, you know, when we talk about Tua with his contract and stuff, like Mahomes and Allen, they should make, I mean, they're so good at what they do. I mean, these other quarterbacks may play the position, but the elite level of that, and as someone we watched, how many football games we watched for since September, and we saw what we out there, it was amazing. Just beauty to watch, and both teams played hard. It was, and it was a great game. Great game. It's Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Of course, you can follow Ira at Ira on Sports. What do we want to talk about in this game? Because like I said, we see this every year now. It's like you almost like you just expect fireworks when these two teams are going to meet up inevitably in the postseason. Well, I think the first half was sort of like one of those. It was Hagler Hearns. I, I thought that was that the as great as the second half was. I think the first half when the Bills marched down there, they actually went on a fourth and one on a sneak on their own forty yard line and got it. Out, uh, Josh Allen through Kincaid, great pass there. And then you know. Chris Jones, he made a couple big time plays in this game. And, you know, you look at his, I think he had like two tackles, one, he didn't even have a sack or whatever, but when you look at what Chris Jones, their star defensive lineman, but on when it looks like the Bills were gonna score a touchdown, just to deflect, he like leads the league in deflections, like for the last five years, deflects the ball on Allen and then forces the Bills to hit that field goal, make it three nothing. That was something, and then at the end of the game, when he pushed the offensive lineman back in Allen, forced him not being able to complete that pass for a touchdown. So there's a small little place, deflection, whatever, you don't see in that stat sheet, but really I think played a big role. Yeah, you, you can see that a lot with guys where you yeah, necessarily Sometimes Michael Parsons doesn't fill out the stat sheet, but he's caused, wreaking havoc. T.J. Watt is may not getting a sack. He's wreaking havoc on every play, and that's the kind of guy they have in Chris Jones, and they're lucky that they were able to figure out the contract thing. I mean, he almost didn't play this season, and here he is um, you know, heading to the AFC Championship game. What, what else happened here? Because this was a game that went back and forth. Like you said, it was, it was like a, they, they were kind of feeling each other out at the beginning. Who's going to go for the, the knockout punch? Right, and then the offense, Kansas City went down there on a third and five, and they threw a long pass to Justin Watson, a guest of, every time Watson does something well, a guest of our show, which I'm hopefully working to get on when the Chiefs finally lose, we're hopefully going to have Justin back on the show. Um, and then they settled for another field goal. It was, so it was the last, uh, the Chiefs offense for the last three games has three touchdowns and 13 field goals. So they have a great field goal kicker. We saw a lot of poor field goal kicking all yes. around. Harrison Buckner is a money kicker, kicking bad weather, everything. But they need to score those touchdowns. I think that's where they little miss Tyreek Hill. Because you notice with the Dolphins, the Dolphins said, you know, when Tyreek Hill gets those 30 and 40 yard touchdown passes, you don't have to worry about being in the red zone. You just go right down. <laughs> so that, that made a field goal. And then the Bills just, this drive sort of said they went 11 plays, 75 yards, just ran the ball. Allen, it was 75 yards, 55 yards on the ground, 10-3. And, you know, it, and, it, and it was, and at that point, I'm looking, like, look at the stats down. And I go, the Bills have 10 first down, the Chiefs have two. The Bills have 145 yards. The Chiefs have 45. It's 13 to three time of possession minutes, and there's 13 minutes left in the second quarter. And I'm like, this is what the Bills are going to do. They're just going to run the ball, control the clock, just do what they did, even to the Dolphins in terms of just this total control of the game. But then Kansas City comes back. Mahomes, you know, Mahomes almost senses what he needs to be done. It's just all the time. It is like Djokovic with tennis. I've been bringing tennis or golf, like Tiger. Like Tiger knows when he needs to have a par, and Tiger knew when he. He used to have a birdie mm-hmm. or an eagle or whatever. It's like he knew. And I think Mahomes sensed the fact that he needed to respond and do something. And they threw to Rashid Rice on the third down. It was a good pass. And then Hardman fumbles on this play. And Justin Watson, another big play, who recovers that fumbles. I mean, there were fumbles in this game. No turnovers. But there were fumbles in the game. when Hardman was one technical when they went through the end zone. But there was fumbles. And when, when Watson recovered that fumble, that was key. And then, then Mahomes did miss two passes there at the end for the Mahomes, for MVS and for Kelsey. 
but they settled for another field goal, made it 10-6. If you're a Bills fan right there, you're feeling good. You just went down the field. Everything looks fantastic going down and do something like that. And then, you know, they go and they pass to Sheffield a second along. It was dropped. And then the Bills were stopped on third and long. And this is where that Sheffield drop, it's like when you're running the offense the Bills were doing, and I see from a Steeler fan, you want to work the ball down the field, like on those thirds and fives, those short passes, you cannot have drops. And that's what they were. It was right in Sheffield's hand. He just dropped it, and you got you got to catch that. Yeah, it's been kind of um, the story all season for Kansas City, too. Like, we've been talking about which receiver is going to step up, who's making the bad drops. Like, you kind of never know when this is going to happen, but once you get that cleaned up, you can see how good Patrick Mahomes uh, can be. So what happened on uh, yeah, and, and the Chiefs ran down. Then they started going down, Mahomes to Kelsey. And then this is when the whole, they started switching, you know, scoring again. They go down and score a touchdown, make it 13-10. And then, uh, and then Bills, you know, the Bills come down, and there was passes to Diggs, and Allen ran again for that scramble. It's, you know, people started criticizing Josh Allen. They're like, oh, I saw Conk Howard today saying, oh, he started, you know, being back to the old Bills where Allen's running the ball. Well, look, when your season depends on you don't want Allen running in September, October, and November, but when the season depends, Lamar Jackson and Allen are going to run the ball. Like, mm-hmm. that's your best, like, let him run. Like, I mean, that's what you have to do. You even saw Tua scrambling now. You don't see Tua scrambling in September, October. When you're one and done, you got to go for it. And Allen was doing it. And then uh, Shakir made an amazing catch. And Allen rushed in for a touchdown, made it 17-13. So that was half t- halftime at 17-13. It's weird in the Bills Stadium, they both run at Highmark Stadium, what they call it. They both run in the same tunnel. So it's it's like a college-type stadium where you saw all the players from the Bills and Chiefs running together. And Mahone said it had halftime at 114 yards. Allen had 111. But the running was good. But the Bills had dominated that first half, 17-9 to nine on first downs, 41-21 to 21 plays, 235 to 167 yards, and 20-10 to 10 on time possession. You really felt the Bills had four possessions, you know, one field goal, two touchdowns, and a punt, that they had this game. I, at halftime, I felt confident that Bills, as much as I knew Mahomes was going to come back, I said, boy, the Bills were where they wanted to be in terms of playing in that game. Is it kind of interesting how when you watch these quarters, either one, like either, either of these guys, you kind of know that you can't count them out till the end. Like going into the second half, I didn't know who was going to win this game. So I was on the fence, and at, you just had that feeling that whoever has the ball last is is going to be the winner here. So what happened in the second <laughs> half? And people are unaware that guy got kind of wild. Yeah, it got it, it got crazy. Kansas City had six plays down, and again, it seemed like the Bills defense just was melting up and down at some points in that second half, where Mahomes just went right down there to MVS a big pass, and all these guys that were dropping passes during the the year were catching him, and Mahomes to Kelsey wide open for a touchdown, 2017. You got to see Taylor Swift on TV again and that whole Taylor Swift Jason Kelsey in the box was so hilarious. You know, hilarious and the fact that Jason takes his shirt off and the Bills fans they still love him because it's like yeah. Craig, he's taking his shirt off and he went down and lifted a Bills fan up so he could see Taylor like she was really <laughs> the crowd so she could see Taylor Swift in the box I mean just love that whole thing the Bills go down and then the Bills respond 15 plays 75 yards 8 minutes long uh, they you know at one point the Bills had 6 offensive linemen Allen was bleeding his hand was bleeding like it was coming out it was just tremendous and then he threw through this great, great pass uh, for a touchdown, you know, over uh, Sneed, made it 24-20 with 3.20 left in the third. And then what does Kansas City do? You know, eight plays, 75 yards. They had not punted the whole the whole time down. And then Pache- Pacheco runs in for a touchdown, make it 27-24 Chiefs to start the fourth quarter. And it's like five lead changes. There's been no sacks, no turnovers. That was, you know, that going in the fourth. You're waiting for this fourth quarter to be a total shootout. But the Bills come out, and this is where the Bills made a mistake. Tranquil for the Chiefs. It seems like the Bills were driving again. It's finally the Chiefs decided, we are just going to have to stop this run somehow. And so they just sent Tranquil as a safety just right through the line, and he hit Cook for a three-yard loss. And I think, wow, okay, suddenly they were able to stop them. Third and five, and then Allen's pass was tipped again at the line of scrimmage. Like, it's the only way to stop it was someone drops it or tips it. And then they were forced the punt. It was a second of the game. But then they do the punt, and this is where everyone, like, they realized that Chiefs only had 10 men on. I think, you know, it was, you know, at that point it was fourth and five, like on the 40. I don't know. I'm not so upset that they went for it to try to do it. It, it. 20 years ago, it'd be unheard of, but now this is what they do in the league. And it's big games. You have to take big shots. I, I don't hate it. If the Chiefs only had 10 and they got a first down, think how much Andy Reid would be criticized for having only 10 men on the line. I mean, it's that they got away with it. It's almost like they tricked him. It's like, go run a fake punt. We're going to mm. have 10 men and then do it. So I'm not so critical as some other people I've talked to about that. And then Kansas City, though, two plays. Pacheco had a good run. And then they had Hartman had another run into the end zone. He fumbles the ball into the end zone. Poyer made an amazing play for the Bills. And of course, it's the rule that they're thinking about changing is that the rule if it goes into the end zone and it goes through the end zone and you fumble it, it goes to the other team on the 20-yard line as a touchback. And I was listening to First Take today and a lot of people, I'm like waiting for everyone to say, this is the worst rule, worst rule. I don't know. I think I... 
I'm not a so I'm 50-50 on this rule. What is your... It doesn't bother me, just because I feel like it's been like this forever. This is just the rule. You, ha- you know what you can and can't do in this league. There's a lot of plays that are bang bang plays that it's hard to you know was it a catch was it not a catch this is the rule you know what if, if what happens if, if if the ball goes out of the back of the end zone here we are you gotta you, know, you gotta suck it up i think what i like you know the more i thought about it's like you know that someone say what ryan clark said it's like when it's in the end zone that's sacred ground like that's like if you're gonna fumble it through i don't want someone just to throw like rugby and just throw it in the end zone and everyone jumps on it like mm. i think that if you're gonna try to reach for the end zone and you can't cross the goal line it fumbles through then it's the other team's ball like i think it's 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 old school way like backyard football, but I think that's why I said it's always been the rule, and I'm not so sure I want to change that rule. I don't know. I, I, I'm fine with it the way it is. You know, I'm like, don't, you know, Harbin, don't fumble the ball at the one. Don't fumble <laughs> it out. Like, just don't do that. And that, you know, people are saying, well, if he fumbles, then it should go back to where he fumbled, and it should be the real rule. But then, I think it gives you encouragement to just, like, throwing the ball in the mm-hmm. end zone, and I don't want that, because I think it should be hard to score. To, like, if you score a touchdown, it's a big thing. It should not be just, oh, we just threw the ball in the end zone, we score like No, that. no, totally. Exactly. And, and you would start to see more stuff like that if that wasn't the rule. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. So, at that point, it's 27-24, and then the Chiefs have the ball, you know, then you think, okay, this is the turnaround. The Bills have their chance right now. And that's the problem is that Sheffield drops another pass, like wide open drop, terrible drop. They're forced to punt with 1034 left. And then Kansas gets the ball back. And again, they they finally slow down. They punt the ball back. And then the Bills, it's eight minutes to go. They're down 27-24. Josh Allen has the ball. And then he throws that ball 60 yards down the field to Diggs. And that is a pass. We've seen Diggs make the most amazing catches, but that throw was tremendous. Daniel Rodowski was talking about how that was one of the best throws he's seen. In the air, Diggs was wide. It went right through his hands. Mm-hmm. It was no defensive. He was throwing. He catches that ball. Worst it's case, he's on the, they're on the 15-yard line. Best case, he's going to score a touchdown on that. Cannot. If you're Stefan Diggs and you're one of the top wide receivers in the game, you have to catch that ball. For someone who does a lot of complaining, it's a really unfortunate spot to not come up with a big play. Right. And it's like in a game that size, I mean, that's what I'm when I think about the Steelers and I think when they beat the Cowboys, this is way before everybody else's time. But the passes in the Super Bowl when Bradshaw threw to Swan and Stallworth, it's like if you look at Swan and you look at Stallworth and you look at their numbers, you're like, they're nothing like 30 catches, 40 catches. But if you look at their big plays, the big touchdowns, there were those, those, you know, moments that you can't forget. And you have Diggs has got to make that catch. He's just got it's inexcusable. to. All right. And, and then um, fourth and th- they actually went down fourth and three. Allen just here with five minutes to go. They're still driving down. Then he threw to Sheffield. And then this was the play. I mean, he had Allen a chance through the touchdown, but Jones pushed the offensive lineman back into Allen. The ball was short. And uh, then they got, they missed another pass play when Allen ran to the right. And then you figure, okay, he's going to kick what, a 40-yard field goal easily. And then Tyler Bass misses it. And that's, you've seen Carlson misses all these kickers. Like in the regular season, they're kicking 50, 60 yarders. It's beautiful. Weather's bad. Pressure's on. Kickers miss field goals. And then, you know, then Kansas City got the ball back with a minute 43 left. You know, and just got one first down, game's over. And mm-hmm. that, that, I think the only thing that makes this one of the greatest games of all time is they needed to score. Like, that'd be touchdown, go overtime, back and forth. Like, it would have been cool for that to happen, but it didn't. But uh, as a Chiefs fan, you're happy. Bills fans are just devastated. Yeah, as someone with really no skin in the game, it was so disappointing when Tyler Bass missed that field goal because I wanted more football. I wanted more game. I wanted overtime. I wanted something. Well, you had you had it's a minute stolen from us. Right, you would have a minute and, and thirty seconds. You're going to get Mahomes. see Kim Holmes come down and get three, or, get three or whatever to come back and do that. So you really felt that was a that was going to be you know you almost wanted Allen to score the touchdown, and have Mahomes come back and actually score. You know that would be back. You know it it was absolutely tremendous, and I just felt like boy Bass missing that, and he just it wasn't even close. And considering the Bills, remember they were going to win a Super Bowl against the cow, you know against the cow giants mm-hmm. and they missed the field goal yeah. wide right so their history has been missing field goals when the pressure was on all those things it's just devastating for and them. Tyler Best isn't one of these awful kickers he's not the best in the league but he's pretty consistently one of the top kickers like for him to miss it was like just a punch to the gut for everyone in, in Buffalo. I feel bad for their fan base today. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was devastating, but I just think, you know, they want Sean McDermott should be fired for Belichick. I think the key for the Bills, I'm going to say this, Joe Brady, what he was able to do with that offense and putting Cook in in terms of running the ball and how they handled it, and I think if they can improve their wide receivers room and not have, and just do, I, I think they're, as much as if, look, the Cowboys are not going to blow everything up. I don't think the Bills should blow everything up, certainly with Josh Allen as your quarterback, and I like the fact that Joe Brady, I mean, I'd pay Joe, I think Joe, they get rid of Ken Dorsey 
put Joe Brady in. I think Joe Brady's a genius. What he did for LSU is the best offensive team I've ever seen ever. And I think that uh, that they should just, I think, stay the course. They, it just, it'll make victory when they finally get through this. He's a, let me think, Josh Allen, this is not his defining career. He's 27 years old. I mean, he could win four Super Bowl championships. Who knows? He's not 37. He's 27 years old. No, and I'm with you. Like, the people talking today, like, you know, blowing it up, things like that. Like, it's not that bad. Like you said, improve the wide receiver room. They're, you know, they're obviously a little lacking after digs, but there's so much to like on this team. And if this was even in the NFC, you wouldn't be talking about this because they wouldn't have to beat the Chiefs every year to get there. It's just I, like I just feel bad for Josh Allen. I feel bad for the, the narrative that he can't get it done when clearly he's doing everything humanly possible. Right, and, and Mahomes, his passing. I mean, we saw in the regular season he the wide receivers were dropping. He was inaccurate in passing. He threw interceptions. But wow, this was this is this was watching Mozart or Beethoven in the weather, the conditions he was on the road, all the other things. But he, the, his ability to step up the pocket, to read the field, to find out where his receivers are, and make the right decisions, no. Scramble when he knows to scramble. This is the Mahomes that won the Super Bowl last year for the Chiefs. This is Mahomes that has been fantastic, been great, and I and I just I'm so impressed. I mean, you know, look, I'm Brady biased. I, I hope we ever don't have this debate. You know, the Brady Mahomes. I do have to say that Brady's two big wins at the end of his career were against a prime, you know, uh, Mahomes in his prime, and I think that's going to be the difference. But boy, right now Mahomes is he's the best athlete out there of any sport. I just amazing. Yeah, Brady really. That worked out well for him that you can kind of put it to bed. Like, the, even if he does get to five, six, seven, like, I beat him. Well, it's like, <laughs> if, it's like if Jordan said, well, when LeBron was 23 years old, I beat him in the finals. Like, that's the point yeah. that he's going to have is that Jordan doesn't, you know, this whole Jordan-LeBron debate, Jordan's like, they never played in the, you know, they never played. There were the age differences. But the point is, if Jordan had beat LeBron in the finals twice or in the finals once in like in the other game, but, you know, I think that would be an issue. But I think that's always where Brady's has that distance. It's going to take Mahomes to do a super amount to do. But I'm just not comparing with the Brady, just the enjoyment right now. Wow. And not to, you know, he's just amazing to watch. And at one other point, when I watch Caleb Williams play for the for the uh, USC and for play for Oklahoma, why he's going to be the first pick is you watch, if anyone watches Caleb Williams play football, that he plays like Patrick Cohns. Like he might not be Patrick Cohns, but it's that play, it's that style, it's the ability to move around. You have to draft him number one. I mean, he might not be it, but he is so close to Patrick Mahomes. They're almost the same height, weight, everything. So Yeah, you, you see the similarities when you watch the games. And you just know, yeah, if there's going to be another Patrick Mahomes, it's Caleb Williams. <laughs> so we have to draft. Like, if you have the number one pick, if you acquire it, or, you know, if you're the Bear, you have to, have to, have to take him right. and move on from, uh, unfortunately, Justin Fields. This is Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's change gears. Talk about a game I was very much looking forward to, Ira, because of my b- blossoming man crush for C.J. Stroud. I got to admit, I was totally wrong on this one. I, for some reason, thought that C.J. Stroud and this Houston team was kind of like that team of destiny type of thing, where they were going to be able to overcome one of the best teams we saw in the regular season, Baltimore and Houston. Baltimore gets the convincing win 34-10, to and a wild stat I heard today is Baltimore led this season for 12 hours. So it's basically like if you know you took the entire game twelve times. They they deleted twelve hours of the games they played. It's kind of wild how successful they were this season. And I'm the idiot for thinking that you know, that Lamar Jackson would lose to CJ Stroud. I I think the score thirty four to ten and the way they played it. Watching this game that first half, I think. Look, you thought a little bit in terms of what, you know, Baltimore, my experience was when I was at that Tennessee game in 2020, when they were 14 and two, 14 point favorites on Tennessee, ended up losing to the Titans in just a crazy game. And they were, I said they were taking pictures before the game, almost like team pictures. I've never seen anything like that. Again, they started this game out flat. I think Baltimore looked awful that first half. They, they were just putzing, putzing around. But on defense, Houston couldn't do anything. I mean, absolutely nothing. They had three three and outs. Baltimore actually for the game for that first half had four three and outs. And short of the fact when when Houston had that punt return for a touchdown, that was by Sims. And you're like, what is going on here to make this a 10-10 game? And uh, and besides that, really was nothing going on. And then Baltimore after that touchdown for a touchdown went three and out again. Houston had a missed field goal to give them a chance, but it was really messy. But then you come back into the second half. So Baltimore had a very bad first half. Houston had a I guess an average first half off and bad offensively, good defensively. But then to start the second half when Houston does absolutely nothing the rest of the game, the rest of the game, nothing. And then you look at Stroud's numbers, but it was it was a terrible performance on him. And then Baltimore had a six-play drive, 55 yards, Lamar Jackson, 55-yard scramble, Boston, uh, Houston punts it. Baltimore gets the ball back on their seven-yard line, 93 yards. They go 12 plays, seven minutes. And I'm just giving you these stats. I mean, the Houston defense just fell apart. They, they gave up a nine-yard play, five-yard run, a 21 
one-yard pass, a five-yard pass. And then on fourth and one, Lamar just runs 14 yards for first down. And then he threw to Lively for that touchdown, which I, I love how when Andrews comes back, you know, two, one of the two best tight ends in the league. And then three, you know, Houston goes three and out again, and Baltimore goes on 11-play, 75-yard drive, seven minutes and 10 seconds, you know, then take a 31-10 lead. It was really, I don't want to say this is a boring game, but it was really like, boy, it's like Houston could do nothing, and Baltimore just ran it out. Uh, a, a really put bad performance on Houston's part. It was just, it was 22 to 10 first downs, rushing 229 yards to 38. Houston only had 38 yards, and uh, Stroud was 19 for 33 for 175 yards. Not horrendous, but just his inability to complete on third downs. They miss passes. They look bad. I mean, I'm, I'm going to give Baltimore's defense credit, but I thought— They're really good. But— Everyone put Stroud in this elite, elite, elite level. That was a bad. That was bad performance. It was not the the last week against Cleveland defense. They looked much, much better than against uh, Baltimore's defense. Now maybe Baltimore's defense is this good. If they shut down Mahomes, and Mahomes has the same situation, then we're going to save it. Right now, I thought that was uh, just a weak performance on Houston's part. One thing you brought up Isaiah Likely, and this is a guy. Yeah, you, with Mark Andrews, sure. But if I'm Isaiah Likely, I want a starting job somewhere. Like, get me out of here. Like I can. It's clear that I can play. You know, these best ball fantasy leagues are becoming popular where you just draft a whole team and you don't like set your lineup. I tell everyone, get him in the last round because Mark Andrews is going to miss time. And when he does, this guy comes in and scores touchdowns. And how about his hands? How many catch? I mean, we've been watching Baltimore's against the Steelers. It's pouring down rain. It's cold. Everyone's dropping passes everywhere. He's catching passes. He's a tight end. He's this big tight end. And his his hands are unbelievable. When he jumps up, he catches with other people. His hands must be enormous. But I just, it's like every, against the Steelers, that game, he was like every single, I'm like the pat, the, it was, it's pouring down rain. Everyone's fumbling. They keep and hold the ball, and he just is catching it. And he looked, that was a great touchdown pass on his part. I'm assuming that you're in the camp of me, that we're not going to bury C.J. Stroud for, for one bad performance here. I'm not burying him, C.J. Stroud. I mean, Houston, it's one of those teams where if you look at teams like even the Lions and the and Green Bay, it's like, wow, we got here. This is great. We're building. We're young. We're all this. So that look, that's all fantastic. I just felt like I think people were putting him in the MVP category, maybe like a I little was. too much. Okay. <laughs> but I felt like I, I saw, like, I think Houston's good. But, you know, this is big boy football now. And uh, I think that was that it was, it, but I wanted more of a performance. I think when Green Bay San Francisco, that was a surprise. They came out and gave San Francisco a really good game. Whereas I thought Houston, this game wasn't in that second half was a just a disaster for them. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So let's talk about Detroit and Tampa Bay here, Ira. And this is one. Two years ago, if I said to you that the Lions would be going to the NFC Championship <laughs> game in two years, you'd be like, you are absolutely insane. But here they are. This team just. They're exciting to watch. I mean, there's a product on the field that you have to be excited for. But congratulations to Jared Goff and and Detroit here. I mean, kind of cast away by the Rams, and now he's moving on, and the Rams are even sitting at home. Well, you had two quarterbacks in this game, as in Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff, are both sort of castaways and actually had an exciting game. And boy, in that environment with the crowd and the noise and everything, it was super to watch. I mean, it was played in a dome, which I do think is an advantage. I mean, I I like that that aspect, boy. But it's they've now they've played two games, Lions, that have been super exciting back and forth. And one of the reasons why I don't, I'm not picking them next week is I think their defense is a disaster. Their defense is terrible. And the, their offense got going in the second half. But in, you know, I felt like they they really, you know, whenever I felt like they had the game in control, they just could not stop Tampa. And Tampa's offense is not this explosive juggernaut. I, I just think, I think San Francisco blows them out next week. I do. But I just think it was it was good. I mean, and they can't be upset by it. They have to build up and get their defense stronger and they're, and they're improving. But, uh, you know, in this game, Baker had a bad interception to begin the game. That was bad. And then, uh, but then when the Lions scored that touchdown, Laporta, I mean, is there, we had, uh, you know, we had Dr. Roto on earlier and he made some bad predictions, but boy, the Sam Laporta pick, remember how he picked on, he was right on Laporta. I mean, he's one of the best tight ends I can imagine just catching, running, he catches and runs. He looks like Gronkowski, a younger Gronkowski going down there and then the team's punt and then Tampa, you know, Tampa missed that field goal. You're noticing that some of these teams, these missed field goals and this was inside and they missed an easy field goal. That was crazy. And then, uh, then Tampa Mayfield threw to Evans twice, made some great passes, 90-yard drive. So it was 10-10 at the half. Tampa had 233 yards, Detroit 133. And you're like, wow, I mean, Tampa's really in this game. And I'm thinking, well, you would have been great if Tampa would have won and Green Bay would have beat you know, San Francisco, then you'd have the game. Tampa could have hosted the NFC Championship yeah. game, which would have been super exciting. But the second half starts, Tampa 3-and-out, Detroit 3-and-out, Tampa 3-and-out. And then Detroit goes down there, passed to Brock Wright for 30 yards, passed to St. Brown's, first and goal. Then Frank Reynolds ran it in. And then 
Tampa had a nice drive back and forth, back and forth, Baker to White for a touchdown, and then made it 17-17. So you got a feel of that, sort of the, the Buffalo-Kansas City game where both teams are matching scores, but Jamar Gibbs had a great run for Detroit. They scored a touchdown, made it 24-17. Tampa doesn't match. They go three and out. They think they put thin Detroit down, but Detroit goes back down pass after pass after pass and you know to St. Brown for a touchdown golf to St. Brown 31-17 they scored three straight on three straight possessions touchdowns make it 31-17 and then you're thinking okay well, this game should be over but then their defense gives up a pass fourth down along to Evans they complete that and then Baker threw that great pass to Evans for a touchdown just sort of an easy you know pass for that made it 31-23 where they went for two I thought that was really weird and then Detroit had the ball 4-31 up seven this is what they did against the Rams where they held on to win the game didn't give the Rams the ball back. They actually punted. So now Tampa had the ball down eight, chance to win the game, chance to tie, at least tie the game. And uh, Baker throws an interception again. So I felt um, the look on Baker Mayfield's face at the interception was like, oh, devastated. Like it was total devastation. You you can't like, well, I think a lot of people hated Baker Mayfield like two, three years ago. Like he's grown like really soft spot for me, but they're in a situation Kind of like the Dolphins, where it's like, what do we do? I mean, he's he had th- three, three touchdowns, three hundred fifty yards. Like, it's clear he can throw the ball, but do we want to give him a five year contract? Can we get away with a two year contract? Like. They're kind of in flux too, but they have a guy who can throw the ball, so they have to be happy about that. I think they're going to give him like a three-year deal. I think it's the point is that he showed that he could play in these big games. They they had that big, you know, they 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 played well. They, you know, the win against the Eagles, he played well in that game. At the end of the season, he came on strong. Um, and Mike Evans wants to come back. I think if you're Tampa, you're like, let's not try. Let's keep going. Let's build this. We're in a division that we think we can do well in, in the NFC South. Um, I think you come back with Baker and play, and I think Baker improves. And I, Todd Bowles a lot. Of people felt that once Brady and I this is where I give Tampa credit I think this is the Brady effect Brady went there for three years and I think the pixel dusty spread over that whole team I think it's sort of like it's still there like it's still the Brady magic still the Brady attitude on these players and I think that helped I mean I think people everyone of all the teams I think people thought Tampa was gonna be like two three four win team I did and here they are in the second round of the playoffs so I think that it's I think they should be happy for their year anything else you want to talk about with this game one thing that I, I just love Amon Ross St. Brown and it's funny like me fantasy players like us, we're constantly like evaluating. Like Amon Ra's ascended to that top tier of wide receiver, and then you have guys like Diggs, who we talked about before. Who on my list, he's getting bumped down to the second round now. But Amon is a, a rising superstar. I love watching the guy play. Oh, just and he's great because what he's great about it, he reminds me a lot of Antonio Brown, where he catches the tough calls. He can catch a, a deep pass. He can go across the middle and catch a pass. Uh, and he and certainly running after the ball is just tremendous to run. Now he's perfect in Detroit on the fast field when they're inside. Let's see how that works in San Francisco when he plays there. Um, I did the thing, the one stat of the game was Tampa had 23 first downs. They had 400 yards for the game, but they also averaged seven yards of play. I'm telling you, this is a team that couldn't score against Carolina. I just I, I just think if San Francisco, their defense has been looked terrible against Green Bay, but if they can get their defense going, I mean, they should shut this team down. And that's why I think you know, I was just surprised that you know, Detroit's defense is the problem and that they just, they just anyone can score a will, it seems like, against them. So let's talk about that the 49ers team that you just brought up. They took on the Packers. 24-21 is the final. Most people, though, in their mind were like, well, San Francisco is just going to crush because they're a really good team. Jordan Love, we've kind of had this up-and-down roller coaster of a season with. Through five weeks, he's a bum. The next eight weeks, he's an MVP candidate. Like We don't know where we stand with him. Kind of a wild game. San Francisco did enough to get the win, but yeah, like, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Like, I think Detroit's going to be able to hang with them. Maybe just because I like Detroit, but for some reason, the San Francisco win wasn't uh, wasn't convincing enough for me. Twenty four to twenty one. San Francisco had a weird season. They won five in a row, including destroying Dallas, and they lose three in a row, and then they won six in a row and destroyed Philadelphia. And you think they're doing well, but then at the end of the year, they had that loss to the Ravens. Then they lost the Rams. It didn't really count. But it's they've had this weird year. But you really, I mean, they probably were the most disappointing. I, I, one of the biggest surprises was how they came out in this game. I I thought it was a ten point line. I thought they were going to come out totally destroy Green Bay. They looked bad. Offense, defense, everything was, they were totally disjointed. And, you know, it's raining and they say Brock Purdy and they just, against the Cleveland game, how he had a poor game. Now, next Sunday, it's supposed to be nice and sunny in San Francisco, but he played terrible. I mean, there's no, nothing to say about it. And Christian McCafferty played amazing. Uh, and, and and there was 7-6 at halftime. Who would have ever thought that the San Francisco would score seven points on the poorest Green Bay defense? And then they come out in the second half and then Green Bay actually took a lead, 13-7, when they just 
just went right down and, and they looked terrible. I mean, San Francisco's defense looked awful to a 13-7 lead. But then Christian McCafferty, you talk about, you know, someone who, Lamar Jackson's MVP, but that run that he had, that 40-yard run where he just came right up the middle, tremendous. And then, then but then San Francisco, everything, to allow an 80-yard kickoff return after he scores that touchdown, sets it up for Green Bay to score again to make it 24-14. And then San Francisco goes three and out. Then Green Bay has a chance. Look, they're up a touchdown. They have the ball. And then what does Love do? He throws an interception to Greenlaw. You know, that was like, again, if people think about the last interception. It was that interception when they had a chance to really take a of the game, you know, they can't move the ball, but they kick a field goal, make it 21-17. And then they Green Bay had the ball again, third on two. And I remember it's third and two, and Love has the ball, and he's throwing to, I think, Aaron Jones, an easy pass. To, he just misses him. Mm-hmm. I'm just standing right there. Anybody, a high school quarterback, could complete that. And that was a terrible pass. And then uh, San Francisco, and then it was back and forth. And then Green Bay had another chance. It was 21-17. Carlson misses a 41-yard field goal, another disaster. And then San Francisco finally, I mean, San, Green Bay just kept letting San Francisco in the game. He can't just let them in this game. Not that team. It's going to happen. <laughs> and then McCafferty finally goes out and scores and makes it 24-21. Green Bay has the ball with a minute left. And then Love throws the interception to Greenlaw. But it really was, it wasn't really the touchdown. I feel like that whole second half, it was just like Love was awful. He looked like, you know, as I said, he looked like C.J. Stroud out there. It was, it was playing poorly. And San Francisco was just playing. I mean, again, it, for people who think that San Francisco, like, this is San Francisco, they're like, Detroit's going to kill them. That's, but I can't. I've watched San Francisco play all year. That can't be the San Francisco team. The defense that just, you know, with Fred Warner and Green, I mean, they're loaded with so much talent. And they look like the Eagles out there. It's like so they, they forgot how to play football. It Watching that game, and it's funny, you know, we talk about quarterbacks, like look at the the final four NF, uh, NFC quarterbacks compared to the AFC, a little different. Like when watching this game, Ira, and there were so many opportunities where it's like, can one of you make a throw, please? I mean, they're missing some throws by 15 yards. It was like, I, I kind of didn't have any idea what I was going to get from snap to snap from Purdy or Love, and it's worrisome going into you know the, the NFC Championship game. It just looked like you know like someone was on some of those passes that Purdy threw. It was like where you couldn't even who say are you who, aiming at? Like I'm looking at the <laughs> stat line, and like that was intended for Ayuk or intended for like you, it was intended. You could put five. Who was it? And the reason it was intercepted it was such a bad pass that no one even saw the balls coming. But Love threw through the same pass like that. Now, Debo Samuel getting out injured, but it doesn't seem like in the playoffs, Debo is getting hurt every single playoff game. It's like, and he's, and he's staying on the sideline now. He's supposedly his shoulder, he's 50 50 for the next game, but he's jumping around, he's so excited to the sideline. If he's so injured, I mean, you would go out there and play, at least be a decoy out there. I just, I couldn't believe how poorly saved. I mean, I was in shock watching this game. I'm like, what is going on with them? And I got to give Christian McCafferty credit because he really took over this game as a run. I love the running backs. I love when a running back does what he did. He did. And I think he just said, you know what? We're terrible, but I'm just not going to be tackled. I'm going to be fantastic. He ended up with um, 98 yards rushing. He had seven catches for 30 yards. But it was like his play, I think, really set the tone and, and saved the season for San Francisco. He's an absolute animal, and it's a, a joy to watch him week and in and week so, out. I'm glad he's playing for them and not Carolina. His career yeah. could have been wasted at Carolina. To getting him traded, that was that was phenomenal that he's on a great team. So what's the uh, outlook going forward? Like we said, only three football games left. <laughs> well, well, the two one is the Baltimore minus three over the Chiefs. I thought that line was right. I I'm not, I can't pick against Patrick Mahomes. I just can't. I just cannot. I think he's just too good. And I just think that, she, that Baltimore is not. I just think the Chiefs are going to win this game. And uh, that's where I would take the Chiefs. I think Chiefs are going to win the game outright. I don't even need the points over Baltimore. But Baltimore's defense has been fantastic. They're the first team in like in, in like since the league started that to have an MVP of the league on offensive quarterback and the best defense in the league. And we'll see what happens. I mean, this is the defense that you know, played great against San Francisco and blew them out. And when they're at their top of their game, but I just, I just think Mahomes just won't go down. And now it's tough. You're going to Buffalo to win, but I just, it's, it's really just Mahomes and nothing else. Why I think they can win the game. Plus an improved defense, but that's where I'm picking, uh, picking the chiefs to win. I'll take Baltimore in, in this one all day. I just, I think, I think it's Lamar's year. Um, it's it, Patrick Mahomes did say at the beginning of the season, this is the best defense he's ever had, and it's proved correct. So you would think, well, if the defense is the best, why wouldn't Patrick Mahomes win? I would still, I think this is Baltimore's game to lose. What about uh I don't, like I said, I'm with San Fran. I'm I'm not convinced that, that we're both the opposite. Here, yeah? This is so cool. We're going to be both opposite on this. I <laughs> I just can't see the Lions. I just their defense. I just, they can't tackle and they can't cover and I just don't see it. And I know their offense, but I'm just waiting. This San Francisco defense has got to come out. But I I don't think they played as much as Love made mistakes. I'm not giving San Francisco credit for that. I just think Love was terrible. I think Green Bay's offense faltered in that second half. But the fact is, is that I just. I, I got to think San Francisco is going to play better in this game. I just They're going to blow out. They're going by 20 points. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Time to bring in Hal Abib from the Palm Beach Post. He's the uh, Miami Dolphins beat writer. And Hal, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Man, every offseason for every team is all about uh, introspection and, you know, how do we get better? What do we have to upgrade? What could we do differently? I feel like the Dolphins have been in this situation now for a couple of years where everyone's looking at them. What are the Miami Dolphins going to do, of course, with Tua Tagovailoa? And they're going into a draft, Hal, that really has a lot of talent. And they may even be able to get a guy in the second round that they really like. What's your thoughts on what the Dolphins should do and what are they going to do with their current situation with Tua? Well, there was a point, um, I would say, three-quarters of the way through the season when I thought it was an obvious decision. You know, you got to extend him. Uh, he's leading the league in uh, passing accuracy, passing yards, and everything else under the sun. <clears throat> he's proven he can stay healthy. Uh, why would you not extend him? And then, and then <laughs> the final month of the season came along. And all of a sudden, a team that scored 70 points in one game <laughs> couldn't score 70 in the final four games combined. And uh, that's not all on Tua, but uh, some of it has to be. And so now you're kind of in a situation of um, it's really a sticky, uh, a sticky decision. And you could probably make a decent case either way. Uh, maybe you should wait. Maybe you should pull a trigger. Um, I wouldn't want to be Chris Greer right now because <laughs> he's he's really having to wrestle with this, I would think. Even though, you know, he, he came out and said after the season that they want to have him here long term. Uh, but I don't know if it's quite as easy as he said. Yeah, and how you, you know, it's one of those things like I'm a New York Giants fan. We <laughs> saw what happened with the New York Giants. Getting, uh, granted, Daniel Jones was hurt for most of the season. But we saw what happens when you don't make the right choice at quarterback. It can set your franchise back half a decade. It's it's, it's horrible. And we just don't want to see the Dolphins go that route. Ira, do you want to – I mean, Ira kind of brought up on Ira on sports a couple of weeks ago. The Dolphins' season was kind of lost a month before it ended by some mistakes with Tennessee. Ira, what do you ever how? Yeah, I really think – you know, how I, th- I just think the Tennessee game was just such a – it's sort of, you know – out of out of out of world body experience, the fact that they were leading by two touchdowns in a game, and if they win that Tennessee game and they you know win that Dallas game, and then those last two games don't even matter. They had a five game, a three game lead with five games to go. I think that that Tennessee game just set the you know as much as all the issues they had as they said, oh, we can't beat the good teams, but we can always beat the bad teams. Losing to Tennessee was I think what really caused the rest of the problems for the rest of the year. Yeah, you know, if you look at the analytics, it'll say that Miami at that point had a 99% chance of winning. I don't think the chance was actually that low. I, it should have been <laughs> should have been higher than that, you know. Um, they had no business losing that game. I think they certainly took their foot off the gas, and they gave up one score. Okay, that's bad enough, you know. We'll, we'll play out the string and, and take the win and go home. And yet, next thing you know, Will Levis is throwing bombs all over the place. Miami has no answer for them. And, you know, a win turns into a loss. And it's Mike Vrabel's, you know, final gift to Tennessee. Um, That really did set the team back. They never really recovered from that. Uh, They they did come back and have a decent win against Dallas. I can't take that away from them. But other than that, it was a disappointing end. Another disappointing end to a dolphin season. And then you mentioned, you had a great article two days ago in the Palm Beach Post about Tua, and you you know, the numbers speak for themselves, you know, these great statistics, but he did have 14 receptions, 13 fumbles. They were 10-1 and one against non-playoff teams, but 1-6 and six against playoff teams, his road record, all those other things. Those are some of the concerns that you would have in terms of, you know, like you're going to have to go and win, and you're going to have to beat Josh Allen, you're going to have to beat Patrick Mahomes, you're going to have to beat Justin, you're going to have to beat these great quarterbacks in these games that Joe Burrow, healthy Joe Burrow, and is Tua the person and, you know, it's one thing to win and score 70 against a bad Denver team, but are you going to do against these better elite teams? Absolutely. And Mike McDaniel, to his credit, acknowledged it. It's sort of a – he didn't come out and say your, your record is what you, it says you are, but, you know, he did acknowledge that the narrative was going to be there until they prove people wrong. And, you know, for the most part, outside of the Dallas game, they never did prove anybody wrong. And it's sort of an indication that they were a good team, but they weren't a very good team, and they certainly weren't an elite team. And when you look at the roster and the star power on that roster, um, they they should have done better than what they did. Uh, injury is certainly a factor, 
uh, and that that would be the one mitigating thing, and a major mitigating thing, I should say, because they uh, the injuries seem to hit not only star players but star players at the same positions at the same time, and I don't know if many teams could really overcome that. Right. I mean, it was so fun to watch because they got every question we had last year. Can they run the ball? They had most most start at chain run and come in and just have these amazing running games. Uh, can Tua stay healthy? All you see quarterbacks get hurt all throughout the league. He stayed healthy the whole season. It was just amazing. They were able to overcome those two obstacles. And the fact that Vic Fangio improved the defense, even with all the injuries they had. And you're thinking, wow, OK, Tua stayed healthy. They got a great running game. Tyreek Hill stayed healthy most of the year and the defense was improved. What happened? How did they? How they were playing in Kansas City in that day? It's like it is surprising the fact that if I said going in the year that would happen, and then they'd still have this disappointing end of the year. Yeah, I, you know when uh, Jalen Ramsey came in, um, he had missed you know the first half of the year with a knee injury. When he came in, they were twenty first in the league in defense, and several weeks later they were uh, they'd risen all the way up to number four. So that's the kind of impact that Ramsey had. But then after that, you know, Jalen Phillips goes down with the Achilles, and shortly thereafter they lose Bradley Chubb, then they lose Andrew Van Ginkle, and all of a sudden their pass rush is uh, on injured reserve. And that's just one example of how those injuries hit at one position at one time. Um, at the same time, you know, they had some banged-up uh, players at running back. HN missed a good chunk of the year with a knee injury that – we still, it, it's sort of a mystery because I was talking to him after the game when he got hurt, and there was no sign whatsoever that he was really hurt. All of a sudden, from there, he goes on injured reserve, and then Mostert had some injuries at the end of the year, missed a couple of games. Likewise, Jalen Waddle missed a couple of games at the end of the regular season, and all of those things just compounded their inability to put points on the board. And you mentioned in your article a lot about the contracts with quarterbacks and why it, you know, they're, oh, a star quarterback like Herbert, who was drafted one pick after him, 52 million, 133 million guaranteed. But is there something to be said that the Dolphins could work something out with Tua? Maybe Tua has to realize it's like, this is the best place for me. Mike McDaniel's offense is the best. I, I'm not going to go to Pittsburgh and be their quarterback. Like, it's just impossible to think that's going to happen. Could they, is there a middle ground where they doesn't have to get this huge contract, but something sort of like a middle class, like multi-zillion dollar salary instead of the, these huge numbers, maybe in a Daniel Jones contract, which was way too high? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the Daniel Jones example because I did think about that when I was putting the column together, um, and that that is a kind of a warning sign for all the teams. Really, um, it is possible that maybe they go for some kind of middle of ground type thing. The the one thing is though that the Dolphins have been very careful to uh, build up to his confidence ever since Mike McDaniel got here. Uh, you know, Brian Flores was more in the tough love category, and Mike McDaniel totally reversed his approach and, and uh, tried to encourage Tua before he even really set foot in South Florida. So the danger there is if you come in with a, a contract that has all kinds of strings attached, is that going to make Tua wonder, hey, do they really have faith in me? Why aren't they putting their money where you know their mouth is type thing um it it's that too is a tricky thing for chris Greer, and he'll have to navigate that i'm sure he'll be in consultation with mike mcdaniel and try to figure out the best approach to to make that happen and also you know he you can't lose sight of the fact that tua has had one year where he played all 17 games that's definitely to his credit especially in a year that was a terrible year for quarterback injuries. But he has only had that one year when he was able to go through pretty much unscathed, and, and that would be a, a, another consideration. And one last question, How this is, we're talking to Hal Abib of the Palm Beach Post. You can follow him at Twitter at, at Gunner Hal. You have always great tweet. You tweet a lot, which is good, so G-U-N-N-E-R-H-A-L. Um, people, Dan Campbell is the, everyone's toasting him and have this great win and how the Lions are doing. And I think, you know, I mentioned to a lot of my friends, I go, you realize he coached the Dolphins for a year? I think people forget, you know, and they got rid of him for Andrew Gaze, which seems like this dark history of the Dolphins. But that is, you know, you remember those times when it's like the question, you're saying, why did the Dolphins get rid of Dan Campbell, who looks like to be one of the smartest, you know, the most at least in-touch coaches in the league right now? Yeah, 
Yeah, and uh, if you go back to that point, I was arguing uh, very forcefully that the Dolphins needed to hold on to Dan Campbell. And uh, I, I remember they upset uh, New England in the last game of the regular right, season. Right, that's right. Yeah, I remember that, yes. We're, yeah, and we're standing outside the locker room waiting for them to open it up for reporters, and we could hear the players chanting Dan Campbell's name through the door. They were that vocal in, in making their point across that, you know, Steve Ross needed to hold on to this guy. And it's funny because in that uh, introductory news conference with Gase, um, Steve Ross even said, I love Dan Campbell. Well, <laughs> apparently he didn't love him quite enough. Now, you know, who's to say Dan from there went to New Orleans, spent several years as Sean Payton's assistant head coach. Maybe those years made the difference in – Dan getting to where he is with the Lions right now. Maybe he wasn't ready at that point with Miami, but, you know, if I had to guess, I, I would say he probably was ready. He certainly inspires players. We all can see that. And, um, yeah, uh, we'll never know what would have been. But, well, anyway, well, thanks a lot, Hal. I really, really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports and giving us some insight into the Dolphins' big offseason because we're going to be hearing, you know, a lot about to his contract and every players are going to add. So it's exciting. I, I, I think this is, you know, some for, for the Dolphin fans, they're very intrigued whether, you know, how the Dolphins handle this. So thank you very much for coming on Iron Sports. Thanks for having me. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Of course, you can follow Ira anywhere on social media at Ira on Sports. You want to talk about the coaching carousel? Because in my lifetime, I've never seen an offseason like this where Hall of Famers are out of out of work. There's some some pretty good jobs to be had. Where do we stand with this? I love the fact that you have Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh doing second interviews everywhere. It's like they well, you have to ask more second questions. Interview? What you <laughs> it's like you should, does Jim Har- does Belichick come in with his rings? Like here's my six <laughs> rings on the, you know like when Pat Riley came in and LeBron does he put his rings down to Arthur Black and say here's my here's my six rings. Yeah. How many do you have, Atlanta? And then <laughs> does Jim Harbaugh walk around with his national championship ring, undefeated season? And then by the fact, my brother is also in a, you know the champion. I mean it's it's amazing the fact, but I. Think I think it's more as I said last week. It's Belichick and Harbaugh. I think are interviewing them. The, you know, and, but I think people are waiting for these seasons to end because some of these players, like Ben Johnson from Detroit, the uh, uh, the offense coordinator, some of these coordinators are going to be in line yeah, for these Slavik jobs from Houston, right? So I think that's the point. But I think that look, this week Mike Tomlin goes, and I love that everyone used from the Wolf of Wall Street. You know, he says I'm staying, I'm not leaving. You know, it wasn't like the Steelers were pushing Tomlin out. Tomlin's decision was the rumor was he was going to quit, retire, mm-hmm. resign, or rest up, and he says I'm back, I'm here. I'm committed, but then he then backed it up saying the quarterbacks in our room, which then no one got excited. They're like, yeah, no. <laughs> Pickett, Randolph, uh, Treblitsky is not, you know, Rudolph uh, Treblitsky is not give confidence to anybody. And then Cowboys decided, as I had predicted, that Mike McCarthy, their belief was we're so close, and I think Jerry Jones' thought is we are so close. I don't want to start. I'm 82 years old. I don't want to start again. I like working with McCarthy. And now everybody told me to fire him. And when he wins, it's going to be like, I told you to. And I think, and I think it's a smart, I think it's, I think they're so close. I, I agree. I think with tweaks to make it work, I think it's great to go back with McCarthy. Anything else you want to talk about? I mean, everyone's like the bill, the bill to Atlanta thing. I don't think Atlanta's a great job. Everyone's like, no, Atlanta's the job you want. How is the Chargers not the job that you want? Because you have a quarterback already. I don't trust that. If I was a free agent coach, I'm trying to get to to the Chargers. When you look at Seattle, Carolina, Tennessee, the Chargers, Washington, and Atlanta, one team has a quarterback. So I just gave you six teams that are are still looking for coaches. One has a superstar quarterback in Justin Herbert and actually talented in many other positions. To me, that is the job that everybody should want. Uh, But you have uh, Carroll's available, very well back. Belichick, all these coaches out there, and we'll see. Now, Raiders hired Antonio Pierce, who is an inter- interim coach. They've decided to, to, to bring him back, which is which, which a lot of enthusiasm, and see what happens with that. And Jared Mayo, who was sort of internal candidate for the Patriots in terms of the, a linebacker. I think people were surprised that the Patriots went with Mayo because it's like he only played for Belichick, only coached for Belichick. You're bringing a Belichick total disciple. He's really hadn't been coaching anywhere else. Maybe bring, people thought maybe you bring Vrabel in, because even though Vrabel played for Belichick, he had been a coach somewhere else. 
else. And he also had been coaching at other teams and those things. But it'll be intriguing to see how this happens and see what Harbaugh, you know, the interesting thing about Jim Harbaugh is that he's still trying to negotiate a contract with Michigan. That goes on and he's been asking for, well, if the NCAA finds me and suspends the team, I don't want to get fired and lose $100 million. And that's the thing is like, I want to go to arbitration because he doesn't get along with the, with the athletic director. He gets along with the president and the board and everything else. And I don't know why Michigan doesn't just fire the athletic director. At this point, you can always find another athletic director. I don't think you're finding another Jim Harbaugh out there. Yeah, so. they don't grow on trees. No, there's there's two like, of them and they're both. Yeah, you know? and, he, and he, to think how much money he's brought into this program and everything, I think you just say, whatever. You know, we're going to give you $100 million contract and sort of you getting arrested for something, you're just going to keep your $100 million. Like, get, do what you can to keep Jim Harbaugh on. And I think that's what they have to do. And I just don't know why, again, I think he wants to go to Michigan. I think if they fired the AD, I think he'd sign. One of the things that, you know, you, if you were going to get rid of Jim Harbaugh, like you're looking, it, it was slow at first at Alabama with people, you know, entering the transfer portal. Now that's starting to pick up and they're starting to lose a lot of these these players that are supposed to be the superstars of the future because Nick Saban's not there anymore and you don't want to be in that, that boat. Ten players now have left from the Alabama team and, you know, the joke was that Alabama without Saban is Tennessee. I love that line and that really is. And, and And Kalen DeBoer is a great coach at Washington and he's brought some of his people but, you know, he lost a lot of people from Washington so he couldn't, some of these coaches, they come to a school like Dion could bring some but it's hard. It's not going to bring everybody from Washington that's going to play at Alabama. So you have a sense where, as I said before, the big winner of this is probably a team like Georgia and Mississippi that are able to look at Alabama being weaker next year and go from there. One transfer portal change, I don't know if we talked about it last week, was Cam Ward, uh, who I loved at Washington University of Washington State, Washington State University. He had uh, two years there, threw for 3,200 yards and 3,700 yards. He's coming to Miami. People thought he was going to be a third or fourth round draft pick. He's going to play for the Hurricanes next year. This could be one of the best quarterbacks the Hurricanes have had in decades almost it seems and I think he's going to be great for the Hurricanes and excited for what happens for them next year anything you want to talk about with the NCAA hoops just real quick I did you see the Caitlin Clark I mean she she's a Tremendous. I mean, the, the, this tournament's going to be amazing. She's, uh, they were the number two team in the country. They're upset by Ohio State. She had scored 45 points. She's on a path to become the all-time scoring leader in NCAA. After she lost the game, a fan from Ohio State ran out and accidentally crashed right into her and knocked her down and knocked her out, like, almost. And uh, it's amazing that that could happen. Could you imagine, like, someone, like, in the NBA, some, it's just crazy that they were, the Ohio State was not able to secure the, the court to allow something like that to happen. And we're going to start talking about college basketball, but I do think that you know it's interesting with FAU we saw what last year the great run they had this year they have the same team back we have uh, Dusty May on our show they've had some bad losses they've had some good wins but they're still ranked in the top 25 mm-hmm. so this year for college Connecticut's number one the tournament this year is as wide open as I've ever seen it ever like you are going to see anybody because with the, the talent is everywhere and teams are getting upset left and right so it's going to be a pretty interesting year for the NCAA tournament anything you want to talk about with, with the NBA here because this is the time of year I would where NBA starts coming a much bigger part of Iron Sports. You, you start going to a bunch of games. What's your thoughts on what we've seen so yeah, far? Yeah, but Denver had a big win on Boston. I mean, the East is sort of, I think, Boston and everyone in the Bucks and probably nobody else. It, it just is one of those things with the Heat. You know, they have a bad loss last night to Orlando. Um, they're just, they're like what they were last year and maybe they're going to get a run, but I think Boston just too good with Persingas and Drew Holiday. They're so improved. They've only had 10 losses. They have one loss at home. And in the West, it's an anybody's game, but there are surprises throughout the, the league in terms of the Clippers where people thought, oh, Harden's not going to work. I mean, Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, all healthy, all playing well. They can have the number one seed. Denver, of course, is playing well. Oklahoma City is playing. Shea Gillard, Alexander could be one of the best guards in the league. Chet Holgram from Gonzaga is playing phenomenal. This is his first. He's a rookie year. He's having probably going to be rookie of the year. So all those things, Minnesota playing well. There are so many great teams out west and I'm excited, you know, of course, for the end of the season and for the playoffs. Do you want to talk a little golf here, Ibra? Because if, he, if, if people miss it over the weekend. Something that hasn't happened in, in over 30 years happened on the PGA Tour. Well, it's and it's cool that it hasn't happened in 30 years and the last person who did it, when you say Phil Mickelson, the first time an amateur golfer has won a professional golf tournament, which is a PGA event. Nick Dunlap, 20 years old. He's the first amateur since Phil in 1991. He's the third amateur since in 60 years to win a tournament and he's also the youngest uh, since 1910. Uh, he doesn't get a winner's check. The second place Christian Bazunek uh, from South Africa gets that money, but he gets a two-year redemption from the PGA, the Masters, 
Masters, PGA Championships players. And just to think that, you know, there were Scotty Scheffler was in this, Justin Thomas. This was a good field in La Quinta, the America Express tournament. And it was a battle of the end. Sam Burns, he went back and forth with Sam Burns. He lost the lead. And on 17, there's a, uh, the Pars 317, like we hear of at the Honda PGA National with the water and everything. Burns hits in the water. He doesn't, uh, Dunlap doesn't hit in the water. And then he holds on at 18, actually has to par 18 to make sure he wins. But a big win for, the, for uh, an, an amateur like that. And I don't know. You might see a little of this. These fields are weakened down. A lot of these lib players, you know, John Rom, a lot of these players have left that those fields. You might see some players come out of nowhere and win a tournament like this. Any other takeaways from this tournament? One for me, uh, local hometown boy from Jupiter, Daniel Berger, back in action. Good to see him uh, be able to play. He actually had a, a really good nine-hole stretch uh, going there. Pretty impressive for someone who I feel like hasn't played in years. He hasn't played in 18 months, and that's great because we had back, you know, all the injuries that he was going through to see him back and, uh, and, and playing and actually playing well. Finished 39th was good. Uh, Justin Thomas finished. Oh, Justin Thomas finished. Justin Thomas finished third. Um, it's the first time he's you know been struggling since the end of last year, so that was good for that. Scotty Scheffler, hey, you know, he's the number one ranked player in the world, but he finished 17th. This is his third finish outside the top 15, and as someone who the PGA Tour is looking to be like the face of the PGA Tour now, you know, sort of Tiger, of course, is always the face, Tiger and Rory, but Scheffler, yeah, you know, he's, he was so consistent for so long, didn't play well. Ricky Fowler had a great last year. We're looking to see, can he back it up? He missed the cut, didn't play well at all. He only beat like three golfers when he did that, so we'll see what happens. Farmers at the Torrey Pines is next week, uh, and then we're just, you know, starting the Florida Swing and all that other, you know, Genesis, and we're getting into golf time. But uh, and the live starts on February second. And we only have about a minute or so left here on Iron Sports. Anything else you want to cover? Yeah, Australian Open. It is on the men's side. Uh, TFO, the Americans got lost. TFO lost. Ben Shelton, Tommy Paul lost. The top eight in the world, Djokovic and Fritz, going to be a great match. These, of course, these matches are like our three thirty in the morning. Most of them. Uh, Sinner versus Rublev, four and five is going to be great. I mean, it's great that you have the top nine players. Herkaj versus Medvedev is going to be exciting. And Alcaraz versus Sasha Zverev. So you literally have. I wish these were primetime matches because you have four super matches for you know the top eight you know players of the world really made it to the quarterfinals the women's side is completely different you know Coco Goff has a, a tough season she made it to the quarterfinals the only American left in it and she should win her second round match I mean her, her quarterfinal match but in the semifinals she's going to go against Sabalenka who she lost she beat at the US Open so that's going to be a great sort of rivalry that having between Sabalenka and Goff but a chance that Goff could win now back to back grand slams but that's really what you know Djokovic's going for his 25th but I just like you know again it's something it's hard to watch these matches. They're at three thirty in the morning, so get up early. Yeah, like, you I gotta saw, watch them. So you're I know, up. <laughs> but like for the finals. But it's like I've, I saw the Shelton match against Manorino, and I get up like at five thirty, and I can see the end of the match and, and those things. So, um, but it's been, look, it's a great tournament. The matches are great. Unfortunately, it's in the the wrong time zone. Wrap it up with a little fighting here. We got about a minute left. Yeah, well, the UFC had uh, Duplessis of South Africa won the middleweight title over Sean Strickland. People forget Strickland beat Israel Adesanya, who was supposedly unbeatable, and that was like now Strickland ended up losing the title to Duplessis and uh, in a split decision. But that, I guess, and then the big point is, you know, this is UFC 297. UFC 300 will come up in a couple of months. They're going to make it the greatest, of course, UFC card ever, you know, that you're going to put Conor McGregor's going to be on the card. They, they're trying to put that all together as like maybe eight title fights. It's going to be tremendous in Vegas. And the heavyweight championship, there's going to be an undisputed Tyson Fury versus uh, Alexander Usyk. Two both undefeated champions for the undisputed championship of the world in heavyweight. That's February 17th in South Af in, in South Arabia. And what's interesting, it's going to be at 5.30 in the afternoon. So people are going to have to stay up late and watch it. It's going to be on pay-per-view, but it's at least 5.30 in the afternoon. And not against football. You know, it's going to be on a day where you can, you know, watch the fight. So I'm excited for that. We are out of time. Thanks so much to Halabib from the Palm Beach Post for stopping by. He's Ira Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.